Krampus. Oh, God. As the title of this episode suggests. Welcome. This, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Don't Fuck With Ghosts, the podcast about all things haunted, spooky, and supernatural. We are your Blost sisters. I am Greer. And I am Betsy. And happy holidays, everyone. Yes, happy Hanukkah to those celebrating. Yeah. It's the third night of Hanukkah. And tomorrow, when this episode drops, it's going to be the winter solstice. First day of winter, shortest day of the year, darkest day of the year, spookiest day of the year? Maybe. One of them. We might be discussing that in today's episode. Oh, shit. Who knows? Foreshadowing. And in four days, it's Christmas Eve. In five days, it's Christmas. So basically, this week is packed full of goodness. I'm exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) And it's Tuesday. (laughs) I'm so tired. Yeah. Well, I feel like the run up to the holidays is always super stressful because you're finishing stuff up at work. You're getting last minute gifts. You're trying to make plans to see everybody who's in town. I know. I'm actually all done shopping though, which is nice. That's good. But I still have to wrap everything. You see the pile of packages in my corner? Nah, but I'm imagining that it's very big. The corner of her bed is... Oh, probably not past this mound of clothes. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, I record while sitting on the floor and Betsy sits on her bed. So I can't... The pile is obstructed by her bed. But probably ladies' crate a little bit. But it's a busy week. But we're excited to have this, that we were able to find time to sit down together before the holidays like really kick into gear to record this episode. And I think it's going to be a good one. I know. I'm excited. It's it's kind of, it feels kind of rogue. It does. <laughs> so spoiler alert, we're not really talking about specific ghost stories today like we usually do. Yeah. It's more like sinister holiday lore. Yeah. Legends and lore of Christmas. Yeah. A lot of... Well, one thing we're talking about is Nordic. It's Icelandic and then very, like, European-themed, I feel. Yeah, it really is. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be a fun little twist on what we usually do for you guys. Yeah, but we have a lot to discuss otherwise. We do. General hauntings, haunted experiences that have happened of late. Yes. So do you want to talk about your stuff first or should I? Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can talk about my experiences that I've been having. It's happened at least five times now. Five? Yeah. Oh my Um, God. This is at work. Context. Side note. Sidebar. The building that I work in is haunted. Like every year we, people write in for like Halloween, a little Halloween get in the spirit thing Mm -hmm. where it's like people's different experiences that they've had around the building or at other locations that are associated with us. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe now I can finally write in because I went to the bathroom two weeks ago, maybe. And we have like motion to motion censored paper towel dispensers and I went and dried my hands like I normally do and then for the the layout of the bathroom is there's two walls of sinks and then like two paper towel dispensers on the back wall that separates the the two walls of sinks and then across from that wall is a full-length mirror far away out of reach of the sensor detector thing on the paper towel dispenser so I was I walked over to the full-length mirror. It had been at least 30 seconds since I dried my hands, and it goes off. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. But I didn't really think anything of it, and I left. And then I went back 
I had to go to the bathroom again. (laughs) (laughs) And same thing. Same dispenser, same spot. And both times I was alone. That's crazy. She was um, like messaging me while this was happening. Yeah. Well, not not (laughs) while she was in the bathroom, but but like after it happened. Where it happened again? Because I told her the first time, I was like, that was weird. And then I told her it happened again because it was, it was weird because it happened literally the next time after I went and it was the same circumstances. Both times I was alone, which doesn't happen that often in that bathroom because it's the bathroom for the whole hall. So a lot of people are going in and out of it all day. And the same exact paper towel dispenser did the same thing. It just went off like while I was at the mirror and... I, th- I remembered, like, thinking, oh, I'll wait and see if it happens again, because I had already had, like, a little itching suspicion, and it wasn't happening, so I was like, oh, it was probably just, like, a little glitch, and then I turned to go, or I turned to look at it, and it goes off. <sighs> it's so creepy. And, again, I am way out of range for the motion detector to detect me, and then I, I bolt out of <laughs> the bathroom because of this time. The first time, I didn't get chills, but the second time, I did because I was like, that's weird. It's like a pattern. Because mm-hmm. I feel like when things glitch, it's not a pattern. Right. It's like a one-time occurrence. Yeah. But you said this has happened five times it's now? happened five times now. Have you been alone Every each time? Every time I'm alone that's or it's like as I'm leaving and somebody's coming in through the door. That's so And it's always creepy. like... I'll be like, oh, it's not going to happen this time. And then I'll either look at it or I'll start to go towards the door and then it'll go off. Have you mentioned it to any of your coworkers? Or Chris. has like to see if, <laughs> to have like have any of them? I mentioned it to, well, Chris is the one who helped me dub its name because <laughs> I'm like, oh, I have my own little moaning myrtle. And then um, I started calling her Potty Patrice. <laughs> I don't know for a fact that it's a woman, but I'm hoping it's a woman if it's in the bathroom. I would hope so, too. Um, but, yeah, I, I, anytime I'm alone in there, I'll, like, I actually, like, mumbled. I was like, Potty Patrice, <laughs> if you're there, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't, yeah, because what if somebody walks in, you know, and be like, who the fuck? What, what's going on? Why are you talking to who's Potty Patrice? Ooh, Patrice. <laughs> I don't know if she likes that name. I feel like um, you need to ask if you have any women coworkers like who use that restroom. Just like ask if that's ever happened to them or like to have yeah. them tell you if it happens. Well, it's not abnormal for the motion like for those paper towel dispensers to kind of go haywire sometimes. Yeah. So that's why I wasn't like automatically like, oh, okay, it's it's a ghost. I but mean it's it like, kind of was. I don't wanna yeah. <laughs> it kind of was just because that's my nature, but um after it happened multiple times in the same exact scenario mm-hmm. where I was alone and it was the same exact dispenser. And also one time it happened, usually I'll like go and I'll get the paper towel from that exact dispenser and yeah. then I'll walk away and then I'll go to the mirror, blah, 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 30 seconds to a minute later, it'll go off. But I've even gotten a paper towel from another dispenser before and the oh, same shit. one in that same corner will go off. That's crazy. That's a science experiment right there. I'm trying to experiment with Potty Patrice. I really am. She seems harmless. She kind of seems and like a prankster. <laughs> like a prankster? Yeah. So, I don't, have you heard of that show, Ghosts? No. It's mm. on Paramount Plus, but I don't That's know. That's why I have not yeah, heard of it. Yeah. I, I think it used to be on something else, or like it came out on a specific ne- network or something, but... Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically about this woman who moves into a haunted house... And she can see and talk to the ghosts, but nobody else can. Oh. And it's a comedy, so it's very lighthearted. Yeah. Um, but I, <laughs> my dad's already watching it, so 
<laughs> I caught one episode with him, and they, the premise of the episode is that a camera crew comes in to film, like, a biopic based off of one of the ghosts. Mm-hmm. And... But it's, like, very inaccurate. So the ghost's mission is, like, to try and shut down production. Wait, that sounds so cute. And one of the ghosts is a Viking, and he's, like, the strongest ghost, and he can actually, like, make things happen. Mm-hmm. And they show him, like, doing his thing, and he's, like, really struggling, and he's, like, it looks like he's exerting a lot of energy, and all he's able to do is drain a battery on the camera. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then they're, like, easily fix it within, like, two seconds. Oh, my God. So that's, like... Me thinking about Potty Patrice, I'm like, oh, what if she's, like, trying really, really hard to make the paper towel dispenser go <laughs> And we're like, hee, hee, hee. And she's, like, trying to exert all this force on me, and that's all she can do. Uh, or maybe she is just a little prankster poltergeist. Either way, I'm just happy that you're having this experience, because it's harmless. Me it's, like, too. definitely creepy, I'm sure. But Yeah, nothing's happened so far this week, but I haven't been alone in the bathroom yet. Okay. Like, even, like, if there's people in the stalls... It won't it go won't off. Happen. Even if nobody's like in the sink area, but there's people in the stalls, it won't go off. See, that's why it feels I'm more inclined to believe it's paranormal rather than just random coincidence. Because if it's only happening when you're alone, yeah, and not at any other time that you've experienced, that seems intentional. Yeah, to me. and it's gone off like when somebody's been coming in and I've been leaving. Yeah. It's gone off like right before I leave. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe now that I'm doing this podcast and i'm i'm more opening up your your soul and spirit yeah Mm -hmm. that's that's how i'm thinking about it well i like potty patrice me too okay um i have a quick little paranormal update related to our last episode which was about um like the mental institutions sort of hospitals i had mentioned briefly when we were talking Um, our listener story, she was a nurse at the NHS, um, in the UK. And I had mentioned that I was going to talk to my mom about if she had had any paranormal experiences because she's been a nurse for over 40 years. And then I forgot to do that. But my mom listened to the episode and today she was like, well, first she was like, you, you shouldn't say fuck. You should say don't (laughs) F with ghosts. So sorry, on mom. Brand for her. But I'm trying to rein in my swearing in general. But mm. anyway, well, I feel like you don't actually curse that much. I think I don't. But when I catch, like when we're listening back and editing the episodes, yeah. I'll, I'll be like, damn, like you're saying a lot of f's. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but so she said that, and then she said. She was like, you never talked to me about my ghost experiences. And so she was like, I don't have any personally from the hospital. But she shared two things with me. The first was that, um, I don't remember if she said when this was happening, but I think it was a a while, a few years ago. There was one room on her unit where patients routinely would be admitted to that room and die. Um, and like, it's not like everybody on her floor at the hospital is like, it has a death sentence. Like every people can recover and leave her floor. So it's weird that all of these patients would enter this one room and none of them would leave the room alive. And they called it the death room. And it was like never a good omen. If you saw a patient going in there and they have like no, explanation for it it's not like it was a room that was reserved for sicker patients i was gonna ask like yeah. were some of these patients totally like they weren't terminal and then they would just die that was my well not they would like die without explanation but my understanding but, was that yeah. it like either their conditions would deteriorate quickly or like there were very few instances of patients 
like recovering and leaving the room. <sighs> so there's that. And then she said she had a friend who worked on a different floor in the hospital. So my mom didn't see this herself, but her friend said that there was a woman who was on that floor for a long time. She was an older woman. She was short and had kind of like crazy, um, big white hair. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a very distinctive looking woman and she would, um, get up out of bed and walk up and down the hallways on the floor just to get some exercise. And she would push her hospital side table, almost like a walker. Um, because in hospital rooms, the bedside tables that they give you are on wheels so that they can move them out of the way when the not the nurses come in to do work. So she would like stand behind her hospital bedside table and push it to use it as balance, like a walker. And she did that constantly up and down the floors all the time. And then she died. Um, and like months later, patients who were on that floor would report to their nurses or doctors seeing a woman who looked not like human, but not ghost, but had big, like kind of wiry white hair pushing her table up and down the hallways. And they would say, who is that woman? Like, why is she doing that? And the guy was like, that was absolutely her ghost because they didn't have any other patients who would do that, who looked like her. Um, Yeah. And so then I was th- I was saying to my mom, like, I've, I would feel so sad if I was a ghost and my, like, existence on earth after I died was to be in the hospital where I was sick. I know. But, like, maybe she enjoyed sad. going on her daily walks or, you know, maybe she was happy at peace when she passed away. But those were the two things my mom <clears throat> told me today. So I was like, I have to share these things in the podcast because yeah. I was very interested. And then she confirmed what I said again about how crazy things always happen during a full moon at the hospital. Like oh. people just act really different. Like so machines will go haywire. Yeah. There's like a Lunar lot of truth energy. to that. I know. I think it's a real thing. Yeah, I think so too. Well, speaking of our hospital episode, we had a listener write in. <laughs> So she wrote in specifically about something that she noticed in our last episode. So I will just read her email now. Hi there, Betsy and Greer. I have been listening to your podcast since the beginning after what I assume was a recommendation based off my pretty messed up playlist. I guess Spotify (laughs) thought I needed more ghost stories in my life, and I can't say I am complaining. I was listening to your latest episode titled Episode 13, American Horror Story Asylum, through my earbuds when I thought I heard a third voice say something. So to be sure, I listened again and again and then without headphones, and I wondered if anyone else who has streamed Episode 13 had noticed it. At about 6 minutes 48 seconds into the episode, you can hear someone say in a low female voice either hello or I know. Maybe, if it is just me. If it is just me, I wouldn't be the first time. It wouldn't be the first time. So I have attached the snippet from the episode. What do you think it is? So (laughs) I was extremely intrigued when I read this email. I messaged Greer immediately (laughs) because, yeah, I was very excited to to listen to this snippet. And I'm going to insert it into the episode so you guys can hear it. So we'll do um, that now. Yeah, we'll do that now. Different haunted anecdotes, but like none of them like provided sources or 
What did you think? So I was initially pretty skeptical. (laughs) Um, But that's not to say I'm not like totally dismissing it either because we have no way of knowing either way. But my initial thoughts, well, first of all, when, because you messaged me and then I only read like part of your message and then I read the full email and I was like, whoa, that's crazy. So I listened to it and I'll admit I listened to it without headphones. Um, So I didn't really catch it at first. And then I listened again. And I was like, okay, there's definitely something there. But I was skeptical off the bat because we do record this in a home with, like, there are other people around. So I was like, that could have been someone else's voice. Um, And I think that's where I've landed partially, like, mostly. But, again, like, I'm not fully, like, discounting it because we don't know for sure. Yeah, I definitely didn't hear it the first time around. But the the, especially when I listened to the clip that um, she sent us. I really heard it, but I also agree with Greer that I think it, because right now um, we are recording in my family's house, and so my parents come in and out a lot, including my mom, and when my mom comes into the house, she always says, like, hello, (laughs) you know, so, and I feel like that happened last time, like, I'm not actively thinking about it, so I don't clock it every time that happens, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely likely that she came into the house and said hello. <laughs> um, so I think that's probably what happened, just to stay fully transparent, huh? like a ghost. Huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, it's still very intriguing to listen to back because when I, even when I was thinking it could have been my mom saying that in the background, it also didn't, fully sound like background noise Mm -hmm. like it sounded like its own separate thing I don't know it was weird you'll I'm interested to know what you guys think I know what you mean too because it it wasn't like how do I describe this it wasn't like we heard a longer conversation go on in the background it was like a very short snippet of a sound and we didn't hear anything before or after and I just think it was really cool that Anna caught it at all, whether or not it's paranormal or it was, we can debunk it um, through some other way because we didn't catch it when we were editing at all. I didn't catch it when I listened to the episode, you know, through for the first time. So either way, I think it's great that we have people who are listening that intently to what we yeah for sure record. Yeah, and if anybody else has noticed it, please let us know, yeah. or in future episodes or in past episodes. Um. Because that was really, really cool to read. Yeah. And it's neat to give us something to investigate, too. Yeah, for sure. Which was, that was really exciting. So thank you, Anna, for sending that. Um, So she did also include her own little anecdote that also occurred in a hospital. She said, I thought while I emailed, I should include some kind of encounter. And being open, I do have a lot. However, I will stick with the hospital theme based off the last episode. Although now I live across the other side of the world and no longer in the medical field, I was a medical administrator for years for local hospitals in Liverpool, England, which is haunted as as well and worth looking into, including a Victorian man who beats drunk people with his cane oh. in the early hours <laughs> of the morning on Rodney Street. However, I always found hospitals calming and never saw anything out of the unusual. <laughs> until, I was an in- <laughs> until I was an inpatient. Turning up on the ward, a book on serial killers under my arm in the hope it would distract me from fasting as I prepared for spinal surgery, my new roommate Lisa joking she joking she should sleep with one eye open. 
That night, I closed the curtains around me, not to be antisocial, it was more to protect myself spiritually, so when I woke up the following morning and Lisa joked about not being killed in her sleep, I asked if anyone new had arrived on the ward overnight. There had been two empty beds that first night, and I had seen a shadow of what appeared to be a patient on the outside of the curtain. Lisa responded, maybe, as we both looked around for belongings or some trace of an admission, however, both beds were perfectly made and untouched. Lisa then said it was it must have been the woman she saw roaming around the room in, in the pink dressing gown, which had annoyed us both because she was pacing, which kept us awake. And just as we were talking, the night nurse walked in. So, of course, we asked about the new woman. The night nurse said no one had been admitted on her shift or been in our room. The look on Lisa's face, who was regular due to a condition she had, which required treatment every three months, was priceless as she looked back at me in shock and said, well, who was that woman then? I shrugged my shoulders and put it down to another experience. I don't feel the woman meant harm, and we didn't see her again. I have loads more, but I am not the best at writing stories or telling them. Hey, that was pretty good. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Give yourself some credit. Anyway, I hope I wasn't the only one who heard the hidden message on your episode. You are both doing an amazing job. It's so nice to finally have a safe platform for strange encounters, Anna. Thanks, Anna. Also, please send in more of your stories if you yeah. feel comfortable doing so. Yeah. Anyone who says that they have a lot of experiences, send them all. Mm-hmm. We want to hear them all. Ooh, something about, a, a, like, a hospital patient in a nightgown. I, know. I don't know why They're the nightgown part. I know. Oh, well, what, what, what do you think would be scarier, a nightgown or, like, a, a naked person? Well, I guess when they say gown, they mean, like, a literal hospital gown, right? Or oh, like I guess so. Or, like, a nightgown, nightgown. I think a pink nightgown, though, would yeah. be a nightgown, nightgown. Yeah, I would think so, too. Because hospital gowns, in my experience, are yellow or blue oh but also like it could i don't know (laughs) yeah either way terrifying (laughs) yeah that is really frightening i feel like i would not be able to continue sleeping in that hospital after that no i've never had to sleep overnight in a hospital minus when i was a baby (laughs) (laughs) and i don't think i would like it very much i don't think i have either creepy anyway (laughs) thank you so much for sending in that email again anna um, reminder, send your encounters to us at dfwgpodcast at gmail.com. All right, let's get into the holiday spirit, shall we? Yes. All right, we're going to start with a legend from Iceland all the way at the tippy top Arctic Circle. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, this was, we didn't know about this until recently because one of our best friends, she studied abroad in Iceland, and so she told us about something called the Yule Lads. Never heard of them before. No. So basically in Iceland, it's tradition that on the eve of December 12th, everyone who believes in the Yule Lads will put a shoe on the windowsill and keep it there for 13 days. This particular number has to do with the number of Icelandic... Oh boy. (laughs) Yolasavinar. Or Icelandic Santa Claus, <laughs> if you prefer. And I do prefer because I cannot <laughs> pronounce anything in Icelandic. And that's just a disclaimer for the rest of this <laughs> segment of the episode. No. Remember when we were in the Reykjavik airport on our layover to Paris? France? Yeah. yeah. That, oh my God. We were delirious. Absolutely delirious. All the words were so long. And there's so many different, oh. like, accents over yeah. all the letters. It was a very nice airport, but damn, we were confused. <laughs> it felt like another planet, to and be And we honest. just wanted a snack, and there weren't any good snack options. And they kept moving our gate. Do you remember that? We couldn't find oh our gate. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> yeah. That was fun. Okay. But anyway, so there are multiple characters in addition to the Yule Lads um, who are a part of this old lore and tale folklore. So there's Gryla, I believe is how it's pronounced, who is the mom of the Yule Lads. She was a scary troll mom. Uh, you know the type. She has the uncanny ability to detect when children are not behaving all year round. And during Christmas, she leaves her home in the mountains to hunt the naughty children and makes stew out of them. <laughs> and according to the legend, there is never a food shortage for this feisty broad. I re- I think when I was reading about the Yule Lads too, I also re- read that she was like a type of crone. <gasps> crone of the Catskill. Exactly. Shout out so, episode three. Terrifying. Is yeah, episode, episode three. three. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a damn good episode. Okay. <laughs> We've also got uh, Lepaludi, the lazy husband, who is Gryla's <laughs> husband and father to all 13 Yule lads. He's known for not doing much around the house, um, but not much else is known about him. He's apparently got a big nose. He has never been seen kidnapping or cooking children, but he does eat what Gryla cooks, so he too sounds like a fishy character and is therefore complicit in Gryla's crimes, in my opinion. We also have the Christmas cat, who is a vicious, black, hairy animal that hunts children who don't receive something new to wear for Christmas, and then he eats them. It comes as no surprise that he's a house pet of Gryla and her husband. (laughs) This is like a dark version of the little old lady who lived in a shoe. Oh my god. (laughs) It is. Okay, so now we're going to get into the Yule Lads themselves, and they all have kind of silly names. So, the first one is named Sheep Coat Glod. Uh, the first Yule Lad comes on the night before the 12th of December. He is said to suck milk from sheep Ew. and was known for having two wooden feet and being peg-legged. Oh my god, you know what I just thought of? What? Barbarian. Oh my god. If you know, you know. And her feet feeding the... Oh. <laughs> so gross. Okay. The second Yule Lad is named Gully Gawk. <laughs> He comes on the night before the 13th of December, and he is known to hide in barns and steal the froth of the milk buckets. Okay, as I was reading through these, it seems like a lot of them have to do with milk and dairy products, which makes sense. The Icelandic people. (laughs) I know. They love their skier. Okay. Then we have Stubby, who is the third Yule Lad, who comes on the night before the 14th of December. He is known for being unusually short and stealing pans to eat the crusts left on them. Mm. So he sounds like a little vulture. Um, We have Spoon Liquor, who is the fourth. He arrives on the 15th of December. He's known for being tall, thin, and for stealing long wooden spoons to lick them. Uh, For why, I don't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay, then we have, oh, more licking. Great. We have pot scraper slash pot liquor. He is the fifth Yule lad. He arrives on the night before the 16th of December. He is known to steal leftovers from pots that have been left out. So you better guard your food if you don't want pot scraper slash pot liquor to stop by. These people just have a lot of dirty dishes. I know. (laughs) Come on, Iceland. All right, then we have (laughs) bowl liquor. It's dairy and licking with these people. He arrives on the eve of the 17th of December. He is known to hide under beds. And when people place their escour, which is a plate used for all meals, he steals the escour and eats food from it. And we have the seventh Yule Lad, Door Slammer, who comes the night before the 18th of December. He is the loudest one known to slam doors, especially during nighttime. 
So you might even hear door slammer during some of our episodes. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> a lot of uh, chaos going on out there. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to take over now. And the next Yule Lad that we have is Skier Gobbler. The mm. 8th of the Yule Lads <laughs> comes the night before the 19th of December. Skier Gobbler is known for being obsessed with the Icelandic yogurt Skier. He's a yogurt stealer. He loves his yogurt. Dairy and licking. Yeah, yeah. He seems to be doing both. <laughs> <laughs> Then we have Sausage sausage Swiper, the ninth of the Yule Lads. He comes on the eve of the 20th of December, and he's known to hide in the rafters and steal <laughs> sausages that were being smoked. <laughs> oh, my God. These remind me of, like, the Seven Dwarfs. Yeah. There's yeah. 13 of them. But and, more insidious. Yeah, and I think they're a little freakier. <laughs> then, yes. oh, this one, I think, is the scariest one. Window Peeper. Oh, God. The 10th of the Yule Lads comes on the night before the 21st of December. That's tonight, folks. Woo! So keep an eye out. He's probably the creepiest one, and he would peek inside people's windows to see if there was anything to steal. Mm-mm. <sighs> then we have Doorway Sniffer. Surprised he doesn't lick it. <laughs> the 11th of the Yule Lads comes on the night before the, the 22nd of December. Known to have an extremely long, large nose and an amazing sense of smell, he usually uses to seek out yummy laffa laffa brow. Maybe <laughs> probably like a baked good or something. Oh yeah, I looked it up. I was just I don't know how to pronounce it. Okay, um, it's a traditional fried Icelandic bread eaten over the Christmas season. Ooh. They eat it pretty much with everything. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, and it goes with a butter. Nice. Said lots of it. <laughs> <laughs> then we have meat hook. The 12th of the Yule Lads comes on the night before the 23rd of December. He's the one who uses a hook to steal meat. (laughs) Self-explanatory, folks. And then last but not least, we have Candle Stealer. The 13th of the Yule Lads comes on the night before the 24th of December. This one follows children to steal their candles, which apparently used to be edible. They were made Hmm. from fat, which is what he wanted to steal and suck on the fat. Okay, if you had to tag yourself as one Yule Lad, who would you be? Oh, definitely sausage swiper. Yeah, I was thinking that for you too. I think or or meat hook maybe. I could be meat hook or candle beggar because I love candles. You do love candles. You're definitely not skier gobbler. Greer Cor- hates yogurt. Corey's skier gobbler. And I feel like loves Icelandic yogurt, yogurt like oh. Siggy's especially. None it's, of it is like chocked full of sugar. Mm-mm. So it's like oh. very. Oh my god! Very the most sour. foul thing to me is when when yogurt is watery on top oh, and you have to been mi- fully mixed and there's a little oh. layer of water. <laughs> it's like kind of oh. yellow. It's disgusting. <laughs> when Corey eats his yogurt, I'm like, I want to end it all. I want to jump out of the window. <laughs> it's so foul to me. <laughs> all right. But those are the Yule Lads, just to kick off the spooky part of the episode. Yeah, they're like Elf on a Shelf, but like alive and more mischievous. They are pretty fun. It was funny learning about them. Yeah, Enjoy the tradition. All right. So now I am going to be talking about the Victorian tradition of ghost stories at Christmas time. So... If you celebrate Christmas, you might be familiar with these lyrics from the 1963 Andy Williams song titled It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. And this part goes like this. Sing it. No. (laughs) There will be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow. There will be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. 
So I, probably like many people listening to today's episode, have heard this song for my entire life, and I'd never really given much thought to the lyrics until earlier this month. When I caught on to the line, there will be scary ghost stories. And I was like, why are we talking about ghost stories at Christmas time? I didn't, it didn't like click for me. What's up with that? So. What up with that? What, what up, up with that? that? Ooh, we. So I did, <laughs> I did some research. And today, like I said, I'm going to talk about the history of how ghost stories became a tr- Christmas tradition in Victorian England, um, the Victorian period running from 1837 to 1901. But before we get to Victorian England, I want to talk about the ancient origins of Christmas and how that relates to the spooky history of the Christmas time ghost stories. The following that I'm going to read is just a quick excerpt from an article that I used as one of my main sources titled, Why the Heck Does That Christmas Song Talk About Telling Ghost Stories? (laughs) Written by Mike Wilton for allhallowsgeek.com in December of 2018. He says, quote, to understand the concept of telling ghost stories at Christmas time, you first have to understand the origins of Christmas. While Christmas is widely recognized as being a Christian-based holiday celebrating the birth of Jesus, it was born of the pagan winter solstice celebrations hey. and Yule festivals that predated both Jesus and Christianity. It is widely believed that while the Christian church tried hard to distinguish itself from pagan beliefs and practices, creating a day of religious importance around the same time as traditional winter solstice festivals would increase the chances that Christmas and ultimately Christianity would be embraced. One of the traditions that carried over from these pagan beliefs was telling ghost stories in winter. Winter nights are longer, darker, and therefore lend themselves to spooky tales. Many pagan beliefs suggested that during the winter solstice, the dead could more easily cross into the living world, while others used tales of ethereal beings, gods, and monsters to explain the darkening of the days. And this practice spanned centuries. The telling of ghost stories, or winter's tales, as many referred to them, was referenced as early as 1589 in Christopher Marlowe's play, The Jew of Malta, which muses, quote, now I remember those old woman's words who in my wealth would tell me winter's tales and speak of spirits and ghosts by night, end quote. Even Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale tells of the tradition when Mamilius proclaims, quote, a sad tale is best for the winter. I have one of sprites and goblins, end quote. So now enter the Victorian era. It was during this time that sharing ghost stories at Christmas went from an oral tradition to a written one, thanks in large part to the invention of the steam-powered printing press in 1811 during the Industrial Revolution, and suddenly the written word was more widely available than ever before. As the Industrial Revolution grew and people began to move out of their towns and villages into larger cities, they found that they still wanted access to the ghostly stories they heard on Christmas Day growing up. The printing press now made that possible. And because of how widely available these stories were, thanks to the new printing press technology, they transcended socioeconomic status. Poorer families could acquire cheap publications or serial novels, while middle and upper class families could purchase fancier collections to display on their coffee tables come Christmas time. So not only did the inventions of the time make it easier to distribute scary stories, the feeling of the era put them in higher demand too. The era of industrialization instilled uncertainty and fear in many people in Britain as they witnessed the rise of industrialization, the rise of science, and the looming fall of Victorian Britain as a global superpower. To many in the public, this time period felt darker and scarier, and that was certainly reflected in the popular media 
literature, not media, popular literature at that time. Although literature that is was the media. media. The time, yeah. yeah. Okay. Period. Uh, <laughs> authors like Elizabeth Glass, Elizabeth Gaskell, Margaret Oliphant, and Arthur Conan Doyle turned out scary stories that the public could not get enough of, and they would work tirelessly to get these stories ready by Christmas time. Many of the stories of this era centered around working class characters, oftentimes taking place in haunted manor houses. Now, I know you guys all know this one. The most famous Christmas ghost story to this day was published in 1843 by a man named Charles Dickens. I was waiting for it. Ooh, titled A Christmas Carol. Um, for those who may be unfamiliar, A Christmas Carol recounts the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, an elderly miser who was visited by the ghost of his former business partner, Jacob Marley, and the spirits of Christmas past, present, and yet to come. After their visit, Scrooge is transformed into a kinder and gentler man. I just took that summary straight from Wikipedia. Nice. So I, I would not have written something so concise. <laughs> um, I've actually never read A Christmas Story. Not A Christmas Story. A Christmas Carol. <laughs> Christmas Story is my favorite Christmas movie, though. Oh, really? Yeah. It is a really good one. It is. Well, I think it's because we watch it every year because it shows on TBS, like, literally all day. Yeah. It's all they show. So I'm the most familiar with it. But I also do love it. Nice. Um, what was I saying? No, I've never read A Christmas Carol. Oh. I'm currently <laughs> reading A Tale of Two Cities, and I've been reading it for three months. And I do like it, but... It is definitely a challenge to get through. So I'm like, yeah. should I try more Dickens? I probably should. It's just because you have to read in their dialect. It's very yeah. challenging. Yeah. And it's also so dense. It's not a book I can just pick up and read like for a couple minutes and put it down. I have to like get myself into it. But anyway, I actually didn't know this until I started to do research for this episode. But Charles Dickens has actually published several Christmas ghost stories, including the following titles. I always thought it was just a Christmas carol, but he has actually written like Christmas ghost stories, like many very popular ones. So the first one is called The Chimes, and this tells the story of a working class man who comes to believe that he is worthless and worries that working class people are wicked by nature. On New Year's Eve, some goblins show him visions of what he will become, what will become of his loved ones if they are allowed to continue believing that they are worthless and wicked. And then we have the next title called The Haunted Man and the Ghost's Bargain. In Charles Dickens' last Christmas book, he returns to the Christmas carol-like format that began in the series in 1843. Mr. Redlaw is a chemistry professor tormented by painful memories. He is visited on Christmas Eve by a phantom, a double of himself, who bestows the gift of forgetting these painful memories. The catch is that the others who come into contact with the professor also lose remembrance of the past hurts and sorrows. We then have The Cricket on the Hearth, which is the story of John P- Peary Bingle, a carrier <laughs> who, who lives with his young wife named Dot and their boy, baby boy and their nanny Tilly Slowboy. What are you? <laughs> what? All right. Tilly Slowboy? I'm going to have to skip this story. Um, but basically, he says a cricket chirps on the hearth and acts as a guardian angel to the family. One day, a mysterious elderly stranger comes to visit and takes up lodging at Peary Bingle's house for a few days, and then you follow their adventures from there. The final title on this list is called The Battle of Life. He says, through this simple story, Dickens tries to explain that in every person's life there is a war, and it is up to him or her to decide whether to win it peacefully or by hurting others. A beautiful story of life is being explained here. Also, all of these summaries I got from Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) 
So the tradition in America of sharing ghost stories at Christmas petered out at around the turn of the 20th century, and some credit it to the American mindset of the time. Says Brittany Warman, a folklorist who specializes in Gothic literature, quote, In America, we generally had a bit of resistance to the supernatural in a way that the European countries did not, she explains. When you came to America, you came with a fresh start. You came with a secular mindset and the idea that you were leaving the past behind. And some of these spooky superstitions were thought of as being part of the past. Another reason telling spooky stories never took off as a Christmas tradition in the United States was because it was more because those beliefs were more firmly rooted in Halloween, thanks in large part to Irish and Scottish immigrants who brought over traditions that turned into the holiday that we know and love today. But Christmas ghost stories remain quite popular in the British tradition. BBC Radio aired its first ever dramatic reading of A Christmas Carol in 1923, and in 1970, the BBC aired a series of annual television plays titled A Ghost Story for Christmas, which adapted both Dickens's ghost stories and those of British author M.R. James. And you can still see this tradition alive in modern-day popular media. You might remember this, but in 2011, the season two finale of Downton Abbey, which is set in 1919 England, shows the house servants and staff using a Ouija board on Christmas Day. I do not and remember it's like, this. It's so, it's so funny because it's such a casual scene. Like, oh it's not even a big part of the plot line from what I can remember, but they're just showing them opening their presents and they have their like little Christmas popper things and then they're just playing with a Ouija board like right on their table downstairs. Nah. I know. <laughs> So whether you celebrate Christmas or not, I hope I was able to share a bit of unfamiliar history with you in the spirit of the season. Okay, it's my turn now. And tonight I'm talking about Santa Claus's right-hand man, the man, the myth, Krampus. (laughs) Actually, I wouldn't call him a man. He's not a man. He's a demon. (laughs) But he is the myth. He is a myth. (laughs) I wanted to talk about Krampus today because we've been kind of obsessed with Krampus for a while now. Back in 2015. It was 2015. It was 2015. Oh my God. We were home. Yes, because I Googled what year it came out. It was 2015. It was the winter break, um, sophomore year. Wait, I'm confused on the timeline because I thought we went to that Christmas bar. Um, I think that was a different year. But then didn't we also get sick at the Christmas bar? Yeah. Okay, this is different. Yeah, I think it's I think it's different. Okay. But anyway, we all went to go see Krampus holiday break our sophomore year of college in 2015 and it was the only movie I felt like I wasted money to go see out of every movie you've ever seen. Yeah. Oh my god. It was not good. I mean, it was fun, but it was not good, guys. <laughs> yeah, no. It was um, terrible. It was supposed to be a comedy and it had Adam Scott in it and I thought thought it was going to be really good. And then it was terrible. Yeah. Did you know Tony Collette was in it too? What? <laughs> Who was she? I mean, not that I remember anything I think she about the was movie. The mom. Wow. Yeah. Ugh. Or maybe like a weird aunt or Horror something. Horror icon, but like disappointing. <laughs> um, but yeah, then it was started becoming a running joke, and we would say Mary Krampus a lot, and then we said it too many times mm-hmm. one year, and we went to a holiday pop up bar downtown and then like all of us except for one person got sick and we were saying mary krampus like a lot yeah that year so we think we were cursed i fully know that we were cursed yeah it's not a debate our friend isabel got super sick she got like food poisoning yeah (laughs) and like her mom was calling my mom the nurse to be like does isabel need to go to the hospital and i was like (laughs) 
It was a lot of illness. It was a lot. So I wanted to look more into, like, the background of Krampus and find out why he's so fascinating. So basically, if you don't know, Krampus is a horned anthropomorphic figure from the Central and Eastern Alpine folklore of Europe, which covers Austria, France, Germany, Italy, Liechtenstein, Monaco, Slovenia, and Switzerland. But it's primarily... Like, the customs are still primarily followed in Austria and then I think parts of Germany, like, specifically Bavaria. Mm -hmm. Sammy. (laughs) She's so loud. Um, So, but the people that do follow those customs do so during the Advent season. Um, And Krampus is known to scare children who have misbehaved. He assists Santa Claus... And the pair visit children on the night of December 5th, which was seemed really random to that me. That is random. I don't know why December 5th, and I tried to find out why December 5th, but it all just kept saying December 5th and not saying why. I don't know why. It's not the winter solstice. Well, so anyway, Santa Claus and Krampus go and visit children the night of December 5th, with Santa rewarding well-behaved children with modest gifts such as oranges, dried fruit, walnuts, and chocolate, while the badly behaved ones only receive punishment from Krampus, (laughs) usually with birch rods. Oh, my God. (laughs) So the origin of the figure is unclear. Some folklorists and anthropologists have suggested it having pre-Christian origins, with celebrations involving Krampus dating back to the 6th or 7th century. There were already established pagan traditions in the Alpine regions that became intertwined with Catholicism. People would masquerade as a devilish figure known as a perched, a two-legged humanoid goat with a giraffe-like neck wearing animal furs. People wore costumes and marched in processions known as Perchtenlaufen, which are regarded (laughs) as an earlier form of the Krampus runs. Perchtenlaufen (laughs) were looked at with suspicion by the Catholic Church and banned by some civil authorities. Due to sparse population and rugged environments within the Alpine region, the ban was not effective or easily enforced, rendering the ban useless. (laughs) Eventually, the Perchtenlauf, inspired by the Nicholas plays, introduced St. Nicholas and his set of good morals. The Perch transformed into what is now known as the Krampus and was made to be subjected to St. Nicholas's will. And then some sources claim Krampus is the evil twin of St. Nicholas and was supposedly invented in the Middle Ages to discipline kids. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? Santa's evil twin. Oh, my God. See, they should remake Krampus and have it, like, be a family drama. Oh, my God. That would be so good. Krampus. Yes. Yeah. That would be good. Yes. So Krampus appears hairy, usually brown or black, and has cloven hooves and horns of a goat. His long pointed tongue lolls out and he has fangs. He carries chains, thought to symbolize the binding of the devil by the Christian church. (laughs) He thrashes the chains for dramatic effect, and the chains are sometimes accompanied with bells of various sizes. Of more pagan origins is the root, a bundle of birch branches that Krampus carries and with which he occasionally swats children. Sometimes Krampus appears with a sack or a basket strapped to his back. This is to cart off evil children for A, drowning, B, eating, or C, transport to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Or D, all of the above. (laughs) Which would you rather? Probably eaten. I wouldn't want to be dragged to hell. And drowning just sounds... Well, if he eats me and, like, chomps my head off, like, I feel like that'd be pretty quick, but... mm. I don't know. Drowning sounds terrible. It does. I think I'll be eaten. If yeah. I had to choose. I mean, uh, but then, like, what's going to happen to me in hell? Eternity. That's true. Okay. Um, so, 
that's basically the background of Krampus and like what he looks like, you know, what he's about. But let's get into the more festive traditions that people partake in every year. So during the weeks leading up to Christmas, Krampus parades are held in the Alpine villages of Austria. While the tradition is over 1,500 years old, it is still practiced with much of its original excitement through the Austrian region of Tyrol. Tyrol? Sorry. For example, in the town of e- God, Eagles? <laughs> Eagles? Eagles? I can't. Sorry, guys. Families gather to watch the Krampus parade where young men dressed up in fursuits, wooden masks, and cowbells ride firelit chariots to create a terrifying ambiance. Firelit chariots. Doesn't that sound kind of so intended lit? Cool. <laughs> During the festivities, Krampus figures in Perkton. Krampus's army of elves descend into the crowd looking for innocent bystanders, usually older kids or adults, to whip with prickly brooms and birch branches. In full character and costume, the masked actors spare no force and often get rowdy, hounding the prey until they surrender. <laughs> Many also rattle chains or flick their whips to instill fear in the spectators. Most native Tyrolians find the tradition to be harmless and are often found sipping mulled wine and eating roasted chestnuts. Hmm. <laughs> the Krampus parade can be thrilling, but may be horrific if you're an unprepared outsider. Stay away from the front row to avoid direct contact with the red-eyed monsters and their swirling whips. <laughs> Though it seems like a family-friendly holiday event, I don't know if it does seem nah. that <laughs> I, I don't think you should take small children to this. No. From what I've read. No. There are no rules. And you could get hurt. Oh, my God. And the custom has spurred controversy throughout the years. In the aftermath of the 1932 election in Austria, the Krampus tradition was prohibited by the Dolphus regime under the clerical fascist Fatherland's Front and the Christian Social Party. In the 1950s, the government distributed pamphlets titled Krampus is an Evil Man. (laughs) Towards the end of the century, a popular resurgence of Krampus celebrations occurred and continues today. Every year, there are arguments during Krampus runs. Occasionally, spe- spectators take revenge for whippings and attack Krampuses. <laughs> oh, my God. In 2013, after several Krampus runs in East Tyrol, a total of eight injured people, mostly with broken bones, were admitted to the Leans District Hospital, and over 60 other patients were treated on an outpatient basis. Broken bones? Oh, my God. <laughs> I just think it's so interesting that there are no rules for this. I know. Like, like why like would you can't get arrested for battery and, and an assault? <laughs> I don't. I don't it's know. Just, it's like that's why. It's like is it an unwritten rule or do the people that go have to sign waivers? Like, right. I don't think so. I feel like it's when you're at a like a really hardcore concert and you go into the mosh pit. Like you, like you could get beat up and bruised and broken there, but you go in like knowing it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually have a coworker who. Um, he's prior military and he was stationed in Germany, so was able to take a side trip to Austria. That's so cool. Um, and he wrote in his own experience at the Krampus Festival. So he said, one year, my friends and I went to Austria on the weekend of Thanksgiving. Casual. We saw some burning torches along one street and decided to see what was going on. We saw lots of children running in the street without any supervision. (laughs) I love the chaos. It sounds kind of like the purge, honestly. It kind of does. (laughs) The holiday purge. (laughs) The crowd seemed joyful and in in, in anticipation for something. Then we started hearing some of the loudest bells I've ever heard in my life. The bells have been described as being louder than jet engines. Oh, my God. It is kind of crazy. That's crazy. It must have been big. 
right? Huge. Or like thousands of them. But like, you know how them. like it said that Krampus carries bells on his mm-hmm. chains? So maybe the chain, like, help, I don't know. Anyway, what we found out was that these people, mostly young men who liked, um, liked to dress up as Krampus, were parading the streets. These are some of the most realistic demon costumes I've seen in my entire life. Full body fursuits, I think they're usually made of goat hair and goat horns, and the faces hand sculpted. Very, very beautiful in a terrifying way. Then the screaming starts. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's torches everywhere. Children are sprinting as fast as they can, <laughs> and they're being chased by these demons. The demons have these bundles of reeds that they are beating everyone with, and my wife was once such a victim. She starts screaming, ouch, it hurts! And I laugh it off, thinking it can't be that bad. Within seconds, you could feel the welts forming under her blue jeans. <gasps> under her jeans? Yeah. Oh, my God. They also will use deer and goat legs to hit people with. Like a goat, like a whole goat leg? <laughs> Where'd they, what? <gasps> they went into the butcher. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, then they show, oh, they then show up at our hostel and the employees gave them all access door key cards. What? That can't be legal. The Krampi show the up. The Krampi <laughs> have like a key to the city. Oh my God. <laughs> They started busting into rooms of people who were visiting from all over the world. Okay, this is actually hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) He said, we at least saw them heading there from down the street, but those poor people never saw it coming. Oh, my God. And that's all he wrote. (laughs) Oh, big yawn. Oh, that was... I mean, I can't say I would be laughing if I was there in person, but just the thought of these crampi like going into this hostel and just <laughs> absolutely going, rampaging on these randos these is like goat horns <laughs> and like I mean, we'll post pictures in the Instagram, but they look terrifying. I like wanna, actual demons. Yeah, just Google Krampus, Krampus Festival. Yeah. Oh my god, this is not what I was envisioning at all. This is like five times more terrifying <laughs> like this is really yeah. upsetting it's like it's upsetting mm. oh, God. i mean how much time and money do you think it takes to put all this together so, so much unless like i mean <laughs> i can see some of these areas that follow these customs and like i mentioned earlier were very sparse and um not very densely populated i feel like they probably were able to hunt and gather their probably <laughs> their resources. Their resources. Oh my god! An Austrian farmer, oh, perhaps, sir, with his goat leg. Oh, I love that so much. Um. So yeah, that is Krampus and the many traditions that come with his lore. That's so great. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for tuning in to our holiday special. But don't think that we're gonna forget our. Paranormal Protection Tip of the Week. So, don't forget to knock before you enter. Some ghosts really don't want to share a room and are more than happy to leave you once you enter it. So, let them know that you're entering the space by knocking on the room's door to alert them to your presence. This polite gesture will likely inspire the ghost to give you your space or not disturb you. This can be especially helpful when staying in hotels or other new spaces. So for all of you folks traveling this holiday and New Year's season, if you're in a hotel, an Airbnb, visiting your in-laws for the first time, meeting the family, just give your door a little extra knock and ensure that you're protected from any spirits who are coming your way. I think it's always a good policy to knock before you enter. Well, you don't knock when you enter my parents' house. 
That's true. But I always <laughs> knock. But I always knock when I come into your house. Yeah, but my door is also not always unlocked. Your parents' door is always unlocked. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> So thank you guys so much for listening to this holiday episode. We hope you have safe and wonderful New Year's holiday seasons. Whatever you celebrate or don't celebrate, hopefully 2022 ends on a great note for you all and a spooky note at that. Um, make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at DFWG Podcast. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash DFWG Podcast, where you will gain access to various perks. And actually, that is something that we want to try and do a little bit more of come the new year. Just we want to give back to our patrons. Shout out Brittany, Nikki, and Jeremiah. Um, so because it was so popular... We want to record a bonus episode of another case that was investigated by the Warrens, and we're going to post that on our Patreon come the new year. Yeah. And hopefully do, like, some cute Q&As, some other bonus episodes. So we definitely want to start doing that a little bit more frequently than we have. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be really fun. I'm really excited to dive into more Ed and Lorraine Warren stuff. I think that's going to be really fascinating. There's a a big depth of of cases that we have yet to look at. Definitely. Um, Make sure to also, as you mentioned earlier, send your encounters to our email, dfwgpodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to rate and review us on Spotify and Apple. It helps our show. Yes. Thank you so much, guys. And remember, knock before you enter. And always stay away from Ouija boards. Bye. Bye.